my favorite movie of all time. Is a black screen. There we go. It's the Blues Brothers. Uh, just for you parents, just you know, it's the TV version, not the not the original. Uh, the, the TV version of the Blues Brothers is my all-time favorite movie. And if anyone that's ever seen the movie knows that the, the, the theme of the whole, the whole movie is based upon one simple mantra that Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi quote over and over and over again. They say, we're on a mission from God. Family, we are on a mission from God. What is your mission? What is your purpose? Why did God create you? What is your calling? Today we're continuing our series, 40 Days of Prayer, and I hope you've enjoyed this experience, not only the sermon series, but the the midweek prayers, the devotional guides. Our youth and our children are going through 40 Days of Prayer as well with Alliance churches all across the country. And there will be a big celebration on February 10th, an online celebration that you're all welcome to participate in as thousands and thousands of Alliance family from all across the country worship, sing, and of course, pray. The theme is awakening, and we've talked about awakening to the glory of Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the spirit of Christ. Last week, Michael talked about the church of Christ, a reawakening to the church of Christ. And today, we're going to talk about reawakening to the mission of Christ. Oftentimes, people talk about what the mission of the church is, but actually, it's not that Jesus' church has a mission. It's that God's mission has a church. And we have a part to play in the healing, the reconciliation, the restoration, the redemption of all creation. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank you that you had us in mind before the foundation of the world. Not us just as humanity, but each and every soul that is listening to my voice. You knew us in our mother's womb, and you created us with dignity, value, and worth for a very specific purpose sent on mission. The mission to make disciples, to go and make disciples to love you and to love others as ourselves. Lord, would you not only teach our minds today, but activate our hearts and our hands to fulfill your mission in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, many of you know the story of Zacchaeus, that wee little man. Uh, we, you heard about it in the scripture reading today. It's a, it's a beautiful story about a very, very despised man a man, as any chief tax collector was, hated by the people. We don't really even have something. I, I can't think of anyone in our culture that really fits this description. I mean, you might not like paying your taxes, but it's not like sending the check to the IRS has this big markup and some agent is you know, tripling your bill and collecting the difference. But back in the day, these were hated people. And the, the pursuit of Jesus that Zacchaeus has, well, I don't think any of us really know what that was about. Maybe he just heard that this celebrity was coming to town. Maybe Zacchaeus had some physical need, some ailment, and he heard that there was free health care available by this miracle worker that was going to be coming around. 
Maybe he heard that Jesus was a great teacher and obviously attracted all these crowds. And so being short in stature, he climbed this tree so that he could get a good look at Jesus. And, and Jesus does this remarkable thing. Not only does he see Zacchaeus, but he says, Zacchaeus, uh, I'm coming to your house today. Have you ever thought how rude that is? Have you ever had an uninvited guest in your house? I mean, someone, that, a stranger you've never met that just says, hey, I'm coming over for dinner. We would think that kind of odd in our culture, I think. I know I would, but that's exactly what happens. Jesus responds in this whole incident, and he says, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. See, this is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of his message. This is why he came to earth. He came to seek and save the lost, which is every one of us. It's every one of you online. It's those of you here in the sanctuary. Maybe those of you that are watching this message weeks, months, or years later. Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost. I realize loss can be a negative term, but it's the term most often used in Scripture as Jesus, well, he spoke in Greek, but most translators use this word lost. Uh, uh, the, the word is apolumi, and it also indicates to destroy or die or lose or mar or perish. That's kind of the place that all of us find ourselves without Jesus. They're the ones that Jesus came to seek and save. And they are his mission today. Or to quote the words of maybe the most famous Christian song of all time, Amazing Grace, I once was, but now I'm found. And it's your mission too. See, the mission of Christ is to seek and save the lost. The mission of Christ's followers is to seek and save the lost. Now, obviously, you and I, we can't save people on our own. All we can do is invite people into a relationship with Jesus. All we can do is point them to the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, the one who died and rose from the dead, offering them an opportunity to be with God, not only now, but for eternity, inviting them to the greatest party in human history. Today, we're talking about a party. We're talking about a meal, a celebration, a banquet, a dinner, you see behind me a table that's set. There's something powerful about a table, about a meal. See, we can converse with people and we can chat and text and FaceTime and do all sorts of things, but there's nothing quite like sitting down at a table with food, with sparkling juice and conversing. There's something about a table and food that opens up our hearts to listen better to what other people are saying and to be given the opportunity to share what's really meaningful to us. See, Jesus wants to invite every lost person to the greatest party, an eternal party that will last forever and ever and ever. And there's no party like a God party. Why don't we have the reputation of being the greatest partiers on the planet? We have the most to celebrate. And yet so often Christians are known as the most dull people on earth. 
don't know where that came from. Jesus wasn't dull. Jesus was constantly throwing parties and dinners and banquets, inviting people, well, inviting himself to people's homes in the case of Zacchaeus. And Jesus was a fun guy. I don't know, somehow we, we have this, you know, like, Jesus was this really boring dude and he just stretched out his arms and died and came back from the dead and said, here I am and now I'm leaving. Where did that come from? Some of you have seen that, that picture of the smiling Jesus or the laughing Jesus. I feel like we just need a whole lot more of that. A whole lot more of that. For thousands of years, the Jews, they, they've thrown some of the greatest parties on the planet. Parties that didn't last for for a couple hours, but parties that lasted for days, many, many days. There's, a, there's an account, look it up in 1 Kings. There's an account of a week-long party. It was to celebrate the temple's dedication. And after a week-long party, they said, let's do it for another week. They had a two-week party. The whole community had a two-week party celebrating the dedication of the temple. I mean, that's my kind of people. In fact, I've, I've run a DJ business now for over 18 years. And by far, like by far, my favorite event was this Jewish wedding that I was so privileged to, to DJ. And if you've ever been to a Jewish wedding, oh my goodness. I mean, they know how to party. And maybe you've seen it in movies and stuff. They put the bride and groom on these chairs and they're lifting them up and, and grandma and grandpa are running all over and they're doing all this dance thing. And I'm looking, you know, for the EMT to make sure in case someone passes out that, that everyone's okay. I mean, they know how to party. And then, well, we're good Christian people. Come, everyone. Come to church. We're having such a good time. Really? The mission of Christ is to seek and save the lost. And the heart of his mission is literally an invitation to a party, to a feast, something that the book of Revelation calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. Some have said his first miracle, turning water into wine, wasn't grape juice, by the way. Um, it was an example of the marriage feast. It was a preview. When Jesus did his first miracle, some believe it was a preview of coming attractions of this great banquet, this great feast that we're going to celebrate with together. Jesus himself tells a similar story in Luke chapter 14 while he's at this very fancy dinner. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14. We're going to look at this. This is our text for today. Luke 14, beginning at verse 12. He turns to his host, so he's at this banquet, and he says, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. For they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Back in the day, and, and I think still today, hosts invited guests either to pay them back for a previous obligation, a previous dinner, like, oh, well, you invited me to dinner, so I, I, here I'm going to return the favor. Or they had in mind inviting someone to a banquet, that the person would then be in their debt. In other words, I'm not, they didn't invite people to dinner just, hey, I like you. It was sort of like, hey, I'm going to scratch your back so you can scratch my back. The motivation was not selfless hospitality, but rather social status. Jesus says, instead, 
Instead of inviting all these fancy rich people that can do you favors, instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. What? Who does that? People on the mission of Christ. This morning, we heard a remarkable story. I think it's, it's by far the best story I've heard this year. Good luck topping it. But for those of you that missed it, this morning we, at our annual meeting, we heard a story of a woman who smashed her car into our youth center next door and did terrible damage to our building, did terrible damage to her car and evidently her body as well, had no insurance, so we're on the hook for repairing the building. So we decided to deliver a gift basket to her. It wasn't, by the way, a gift basket to say, thank you for smashing our building. But it was a gift basket to say, we love you. We love people. This would be the type of thing that Jesus would do. You're hurting, you're suffering. Sure, you did damage to our building, but our building is just a tool that we use to love people. We're not in the building business. We're not in the museum business. And so we're the type of church, we're the type of people that send gift baskets to people that are in need despite the fact that they smash our building. Family, this is the type of church that I want to be a part of. See, by sending the gift basket, essentially it was an act similar to what Jesus is saying. Invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame and the blind, invite them to your table. It doesn't make sense. Nobody's doing it, but that's what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom of God gives gift baskets to people after they smash your building. You can clap for that. See, Jesus' teaching is radical. And if you think you can take the American dream and sprinkle an hour of religion on Sunday and call it good, you're badly mistaken. Jesus is not looking for an hour on Sunday, a spiritual diet pill. He is looking for you to surrender your heart, soul, mind, and strength 24-7, 365. Die to yourself so you can be resurrected with him and experience real life, not this phony religious junk. It's radical, family. It's radical. What kind of repayment can these outcasts pay? Jesus says, then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who cannot repay you. You know, this person that smashed our building has no insurance. She, they, they, can't, they, they can't repay us. They can't fix our building. By the way, if you didn't hear the rest of the story, I just think this is so amazing. Because Jason Horton, our facilities director, responded to the call of God by making and delivering a gift basket to the person that smashed our building. Uh, the next day or two later, the insurance company, they said, you have a $2,500 deductible, but we're going to waive it for you. What insurance company waives $2,500 deductibles? But that's the kingdom of God. See, this is the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, it is way more fun to be a part of the kingdom of God than it is the kingdom of this world. I mean, I know people out there last night were thinking they're having parties at the bar, getting drunk and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. But let me tell you, the kingdom of God beats it hands down. 
hands down. Not long ago, I was asked to do a favor. It wasn't a big favor. It wasn't a huge thing, but it was inconvenient and it involved some expense on my part, more time than money. And I have to admit, my heart was not right. I did it kind of begrudgingly, like, it's the right thing to do, so I'm just going to do it. And I did it. Didn't have the best attitude. And I thought of that word I mentioned a few weeks ago, die. That I needed to die to myself. It's not about me. It's not about what's convenient and safe and pleasurable for me. It's about how can I serve others? How can I model the kingdom of God? How can I participate in God's work on this planet? I'm ashamed to say that I did it with a poor attitude. There was no financial gain for me, no social reward. But see, God saw what I did. Unfortunately, he saw my bad attitude too. But he did see that I did this thing. God sees what you do. You might not get credit for it. You might not get a thank you card. You may not get your name up in lights. But God sees the little things that you do. That's the kingdom of God. Family, we need to do more. Loving others anonymously. Giving to others anonymously. Inviting the crippled, the lame, the people that can't pay us back. Because God can pay us back. This is what separates worldly people from Jesus' people. They are motivated by present returns rather than eternal treasures. So verse 15, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Is it going to be a blessing to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God, family? Oh, yes, it will. Family, this is a sneak preview of what's ahead for all of us. Remember, Three weeks ago, I said that although our present is uncertain, our future is very certain. Many think heaven will be angels playing harps on clouds. Jesus' Jewish peers saw the future kingdom as a great banquet featuring Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the prophets at the table. See, this is what's in store for us, except it's going to be way better than this. this plastic? It's going to be way better than this. Okay, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. In Jesus' day, invitations were sent out for parties. We still send out invitations, of course, today. But what they would do is they would say, here's the date, but we're not going to tell you the hour because it was really hard for them to know what time to have the meal. You know, for us, it's pretty easy. We can say, hey, come at 6 o'clock. We set the microwave. We set the oven. We're all set to go. In, in Jesus' day, at the time in the first century, they didn't go to Kroger and get their food. They went out to the field, and they had to slaughter animals and prepare. And it sort of depended on how many people were going to come. So they sent out the invitation, said, we'll let you know what time, but just mark your calendar, you know, sometime dinner time. We're going to have you come to this feast. The host needed people to RSVP so he knew how many animals and how much food to prepare. And the guests in this parable, they had already said they were coming. So in this story that you're going you're gonna to hear from Jesus, he says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. All these people said, we're coming. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. Now, I don't know exactly how they distributed this information, 
You know, if they had a, a, a bullhorn, um, obviously they didn't have texts and that sort of thing, but okay, the banquet's ready, the food's cooked, tell them now's time, come on over for dinner. What was the servant's job in this, in this situation? Was it the servant's job to prepare the food? No, servant couldn't afford to prepare the food. Was it the servant's job to force people to come to the banquet? No. It was to let the people know that the banquet was ready. The master did all the heavy lifting, bought all the stuff, made all the invitations, and he represents God in the story. We are the servants told to let people know it's time to party. Who wouldn't want to respond to that, right? See, we are told to invite people into this party, to invite people to the banquet. We're not responsible for whether or not they come. We just get to send out the invitations, which I think is a pretty fun gig. So the servant goes out and says, hey, it's time. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married so I can't come. You got to be kidding. I mean, these people have already said yes to this banquet. They're making these lazy excuses. One of them should have said, I have to um, shampoo my hair. Isn't isn't that the excuse you ladies use all the time? I've I've got to wash my hair. I mean, these are lame excuses. People knew well in advance. Oh, really? You just... You have to get married? You didn't know you were going to get married when you said yes to this invitation? You know, we have this whole thing in our culture now, FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. People won't commit to anything because it's like, well, I might get a better invitation, a better offer, a better opportunity. Some of you older people, you know what I'm talking about. Man, these kids today, I invite them to stop and they're like, maybe, we'll see. Five minutes before, let me know, I'll show up. These people made all these lame excuses. And it was, of course, an insult, a huge insult, to the master, to to the host in this case. They were given plenty of notice that invitations were sent out days ago, probably weeks ago, maybe longer, but they made lame excuses. Billy Sunday once said, an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Let me say that again. I thought that was pretty good. An excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Well, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious. I mean, all these people said they were coming, and now they're not going to come, and we've got all this food prepared. So his master said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, obviously, this is a parable Jesus is telling, and this follows the thing that he had said to, the, to his friends at the banquet table moments earlier. Now, did you catch the emotion of the host? He's furious. Can God be furious? Oh, you bet your sweet bippy he can be furious. Wait till judgment day, people. Oh, but God's a God of love. Yes, and a God of justice, which is why we desperately need his amazing grace. This is why Pastor Donald, yeah, anytime you ask Pastor Donald how he's, how he's doing, he's going to say, better than I deserve, because we don't want what we deserve. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. So we've got this banquet table. This food is not going to be wasted. The host is saying, hey, if all the fancy people won't come, let's get the riffraff. 
Let's get anybody because we don't want the food to go to waste. Let's have a party. By the way, poor, crippled, blind, lame, these were Gentiles. Oh, Gentiles. Yeah, get the Gentiles. But we're Jews. We don't eat with those kinds of people. Yeah, get those Gentiles too. My Gentile brothers and sisters, aren't you glad that we've gotten grafted into God's family? That's the kingdom of God right there. By the way, the reason that Jesus cautioned the rich is because they can be busy with their wealth and toys. Jesus said a lot of things about rich people. He never said rich people are bad or evil. He never said even money is evil. It's the root of all, root of the love of money that's the root of all sorts of evil. But rich people can very easily get distracted with their stuff, with their toys, with their lifestyles. They can turn money into an idol, a tool for, for power, an object of pride. The people in the parable making excuses were consumed by their field, by their oxen, by their marriage. And like so many people today, they just had no room in their lives for God. Thank you for making time for God this morning. The poor can certainly make money and other things idols too. But they tend to recognize their need for God, their, their need for help a little bit more readily than those of us who have all of our needs met. Is it any surprise that the early church grew largely not through the rich, powerful people, but through the down-and-outers that were needy? They were shown love and compassion. Steve Taylor once sang a song called Jesus is for Losers, and he's right. Though, winners are welcome to follow him too. So what? Well, Jim Sapia, an Alliance International worker, notes three things about this passage. First, he says that we're all, we are invited to the party. And I am so glad. I am so, so glad. And what a party it will be. He wants you there. In fact, according to 1 Timothy 2.4, he wants everybody there. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Some people say, you know, does, how could God, loving God send anyone to hell? He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. And hell is where God is absent because he wants everyone with him, but we choose, many choose, hopefully you don't choose, to spend this life and the next apart from God. That's the definition of hell. But instead that you choose to go to the party, which is the definition of life with Christ. God so loved the world, not just Americans or people from a particular class, not just Jews or Gentiles. You, all of you, are invited to the table, to the place where you can connect with Almighty God. Jesus said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you, if you hear my voice, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. It's an invitation to all. So verse 15, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. We saw this verse a few moments ago, but this is the point. We are all invited. You are invited. Your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your enemies are invited. Second, we are sent to be a blessing. There's no need for a scarcity mentality. There's more than enough to go around. There's plenty of seats at the table. There's room for everybody. We don't need to hoard it like toilet paper or N95 masks. There is no us and them. It's an abundance mentality. The banquet, it's going to be marvelous. 
It's an all-you-can-eat buffet that never, ever ends, and it's calorie-free. The greatest gift you can give another human being is an invitation to this party, an invitation to life with Jesus, an invitation to a banquet that will last forever and ever and ever, eternity with God. The greatest blessing to others and us is introducing people to Jesus. I love that that God shows no favoritism. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be of a particular group to receive the invitation. And yet, many have never received the invitation. Think about the billions of people living today in the world of smartphones and technology and all the rest, they've never heard the name Jesus. I mean, I get really frustrated when I I share Jesus with people and they reject it, but so many people have never even heard the name This is why, as an Alliance family, we're so committed to missions, to global missions. This is why we have the Great Commission Fund that supports international workers in Germany, in Cambodia, the ends of the earth, in countries we can't even name for safety reasons. Because we want everyone to receive an invitation, and he has sent us to be a blessing to others. He sent us, then, to go and compel Verse 23, to go and compel, to tell people, to get them to the banquet. What an incredible experience that we have. What an incredible opportunity that we have to share the good news, to to invite them to compel. The servant has done this, he reported. There's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. The servant says, hey, I've invited people. And and the master says, there's more. There's more food. There's more room at my table. Come, come, go get some more. We are to go. Jesus said in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations. The NIV translation says, compel them to come. We can't force them, but we can implore them. We can compel them to come. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and he said this, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak to Christ. And we lose our slide. But we are, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. God wants everyone at the feast family. You, the poor, the rich, the lame, the doctors, the orphans, the single parents, the widows, the refugees and immigrants. Yes, even the Republicans and Democrats. God wants us to go and take the good news, take the invitation to everyone, both here and around the world. Reawakening to the mission of Christ. We've been invited to join Jesus on his mission to seek and save the lost. Will you respond? Now, before we sing a closing song, there's, there's a, a short video that I want to show you. I think it speaks for itself. This is Pastor Mark Clark from Village Church in Vancouver, British Columbia, telling 
while telling one of my favorite stories about invitations to a party. Check this out. Uh, I'm going to read this story that's told uh, from Tony Campolo back in the day. It's a pretty famous story. Some of you might have heard it. Some of you might not. But it's a great illustration of what we're talking about. So this will take a couple minutes to sit back and, and listen to this. Uh, Campolo tells about being invited to speak in Honolulu one time and having trouble getting his body to adjust to the 10-hour shift from his home in Philadelphia. He wound up wide awake at three in the morning, drinking coffee in an all-night diner. Presently, the door opened, and in came about eight women, laughing and talking loudly. Campolo soon deduced that they were streetwalkers, finished with their evening's work, and relaxing before going home to sleep. They're prostitutes. One named Agnes mentioned to her friend that the next day would be her 39th birthday. After the group left, Campolo got a bright idea. He said to the gruff proprietor behind the counter, do you hear that one woman say tomorrow was her birthday? What do you say we throw, now listen, as even, I'm just looking at my own life, like what would I do? I'd be like, oh my goodness, we've got prostitutes here. This is like, oh, okay, I gotta get out of here. Like I would feel like there's this moral culpability on me, but here's what he does. This is fascinating. What do you say? We throw her a party. I'll come back tomorrow night with some decorations. Let's surprise her with cake and everything. The man's wife came out of the kitchen. Both of them said, this is a wonderful idea. Let's do it. 24 hours later, the little diner was decorated with streamers and balloons. A festive sign was taped up to the mirror. The couple had put the word out on the street and a large assortment of night people were gathered. When the prostitutes came in for their usual coffee, the shout went up, happy birthday, Agnes. The woman stood speechless as the singing began. Tears started to roll down her cheeks. Nobody had showed her genuine kindness in years. The owner brought out a birthday cake with candles. Agnes was in such shock that she had to be reminded to blow them out. She paused again. Well, cut the cake, Agnes, the shop owner said. She finally found the words. In a whisper, she said, please, I just want to keep the cake. I'll take it to my apartment down the street just for a couple days, but please let me keep the cake. No one knew how to respond, but no one could think of a reason to refuse her request. So out the door she fled, holding the cake as if it were the Holy Grail. An awkward silence filled the room. Campolo finally broke in with a bold question, uh, a bold suggestion. I have another idea. Why don't we pray? Without hesitation, he began to pray a voice over the crowd for Agnes, that God would bless her on her birthday, that God would bring peace into her life and save her from all that troubled her. At the amen, the diner owner said, hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you preach at? Campolo thought a moment, cocked his head sideways, and then answered with a grin, I preach at the kind of church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. What happened next was the most poignant moment of all. The man squinted at Campolo and announced, no, no, you don't. There is no church like that. I would join a church like that. Are we a church like that? Are you a people like that? Are you an individual like that? I'm not sure without some training and grace, we are those people. Because you're meeting someone where they're at and this is the person who needs to be shown the grace and the love, but we wanna lead with morality. In order to become a Christian, you need to do this and become this. It's almost like we think that Christianity is for conservative family-oriented culture that, you know, the, the, the Canada was birthed out of Christian laws crowd. 
And it's like, yeah, it is for that crowd, but it's also for the crowd that doesn't believe that and doesn't care about that. Because it's a beautiful gospel that's not trying to make people into some political ideological version of a Canadian or American, wherever you are. It's to come to know Christ and to come to know Christ by grace and understanding your own sin. That's why Jesus tells parables. It's the people who've been forgiven much that understand much. And their worship is like different. It's just like deeper. So think about your relational circles. Are you people who actually run with the people who need the grace or people who've already experienced the grace? That's what we're talking about. Because when you start to run with the people who need the grace, you know what happens? Your, your black and white theology that looks so simple before, it gets messed with a bit. 